Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how dogs may have evolved to love humans, how you can spot bad nutrition advice, and how 10,000-year-old chewing gum may change our understanding of ancient society. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Dogs are supposedly man's best friend, and new research suggests at least one reason why our puppy pals go so well with humans. It turns out that dogs are so hyper-devoted to us that it seems they have evolved a special region in their brain for processing human faces. Humans domesticated dogs thousands of years ago, so we've been companions for a long time. We've basically evolved to love each other, and that love runs deep. Dogs understand us better than monkeys do, even though genetically monkeys are our close relatives. Dogs recognize our faces, read our facial expressions, and even take on our moods. So if you think it makes your dog sad when you cry, you're right. Researchers wondered if this connection with humans show up in a dog's neural pathways. So a new study focused specifically on how dogs recognize faces. The hope was to figure out whether there's a region in their brain for processing human faces, and if there is, was it a different area from one that processed dog faces? To explore this, they used fMRI brain scans on a dozen dogs, all trained to hold still for the length of a brain scan. Inside the fMRI machine, researchers showed the dogs pictures of dog and human faces. Some were familiar, others were strangers. They also varied the expression of each human face between positive, negative, and neutral. All the faces, regardless of species, sparked activity in the dog's canine temporal cortices, the part of their brain that handles facial recognition. But the human faces, regardless of their expression or familiarity, triggered activity in a slightly different area than the dog faces. In other words, there could be a special region of the canine temporal cortex devoted to humans. More research would be needed to confirm this, including whether it applies to all dogs or just the dogs who have trained intensively with humans, like the dogs in the study. Still, it could well be that dogs' millennia-long relationship with humans has literally restructured their brains. And here's an interesting thought. What if dogs have reshaped our brains, too? Only more research will tell. Nutrition is important. And that's why today we've got some tips for finding the right nutrition tips for you. This is important because while it might feel like bad nutrition advice is just kind of ineffective, it can actually be downright dangerous. As reported by Futurity, over 20,000 people end up in the emergency room each year because of supplements, and a quarter of those cases are due to weight loss-related supplements. And sometimes it seems like there's misinformation everywhere. A 2014 study in the American Journal of Public Health found that news and media sites published lower quality weight loss information than medical, government, or university sites and blogs. And in 2016, a study found the accuracy of Spanish language weight loss content was found to be even lower than English language content. So how can you steer clear of bad or unhelpful information? Michelle Cardell, who has a doctorate in nutrition science, says you should watch out for three major signs. The first red flag is huge claims and blanket statements that are backed up with little evidence. There's no right way to eat and no one-size-fits-all approach. Your dietary pattern should be determined by your needs, likes, dislikes, and medical history. The second red flag is when someone is selling a quick fix in the form of a supplement, detox, or tea. Cardell says that not everyone selling you something is a quack, but all quacks are selling you something. 
She finds it sad that people struggling with their weight who are in a vulnerable place put their trust in quick fixes rather than evidence-based medicine. The third red flag to watch out for is missing credentials. Registered dietitians and nutritionists hold accredited university degrees and have passed board-certified exams. While others might have good intentions, they might not have the scientific background required to give sound advice. Some in the fitness community dispute the value of those qualifications. CrossFit recently sparked a social media uproar by arguing that licensing did more for dietitians' paychecks than patients' health. Cardell refutes this notion, arguing that we go to lawyers for legal advice, doctors for medical advice, and physical therapists for physical therapy advice. So why should nutritional advice be any different? I have a question about supplements for you and how to choose the right one, Ashley. Why do so many supplement ingredients have a little cross next to their recommended daily value that say this has not been cleared by the FDA? It's because the FDA doesn't regulate supplements. And that's actually caused a lot of problems. There have been studies where scientists analyze the content of supplements and find that some of them don't contain any of the ingredient that they say they do. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's if you're going to take supplements, definitely do your research into the producers and the products that you're taking. Buyer beware. Definitely. Today's episode is sponsored by Arm and Hammer and their new cloud control cat litter. You know what I love? My cat. And Cody, do you want to know a weird fact about cats? Always. <laughs> so a lot of TV shows and cartoons talk about giving a cat a saucer of milk. But it turns out that most cats are lactose intolerant. Most cats? Yeah, because most cats... After they're weaned, they stop producing the enzyme that digests milk. So even if they're attracted to milk because it's tasty, it'll wreak havoc on their little digestive systems. Wow. Yeah, so don't feed cats milk. It might also wreak havoc on the litter box, which is no fun for a cat owner. I mean, cleaning the litter box itself is already a chore. And that's why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasties when I scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New Cloud Control Cat Litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Scientists have recovered DNA from 10,000-year-old chewing gum. And this research gives us some insight into the lives and origins of our recent ancestors. This research also answers a listener question, funny enough. Believe it or not, we got a tweet in September from Alan Paul, who asked, how long does DNA survive on chewing gum? Thanks for your question, Alan, and uh, sorry it took us a little while to get a solid answer for this one. This maybe took a full nine months to gestate. Anyway, as reported by The Conversation, this gum was actually used as a glue to make tools, but researchers do believe it was chewed on, too to make it more pliable and sticky. The gum was found at a Mesolithic site in western Sweden, and the fact that we can get human DNA from bits of old chewing gum is a breakthrough in itself. See, most ancient DNA samples come from bones or teeth, but they have to be ground into powder in order to extract the DNA. Not very preservation-friendly. Researchers sequenced the entire genomes of three of the gum chewers, and they compared them with modern-day genomes from 10 other sites from across Europe. The results showed that these Scandinavian hunter-gatherers had genes from people further west and south, but their tools were more like ones that were more common in the east. 
And that suggests they were more diverse than being just from Eastern Europe, which is what scientists had thought. They were also surprised that two of the sequenced gum chewers were female, which means maybe prehistoric females weren't just stuck doing domestic roles as we have previously thought. And these findings give scientists a whole new list of mysteries to answer. Like, if females were making tools, were they also hunting with them? Did Mesolithic people chew gum for fun, like other cultures? If you are studying archaeology or anthropology, one thing's for sure, you've got plenty of questions to chew on. You can read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Today's episode was brought to you in part by our patrons. Special thanks to Diane Carter, Scott Gates, Walt DeGrange, Sergio Moreno, and Dr. Braden Johnson for supporting our show. You can also support Curiosity Daily at patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.